electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Hi, everybody, and here's what's ahead this hour. These huge market moves lately are starting to create some openings for investors and some new pressure points. One strategist is highlighting biotech and small caps, one showing promise, the other flashing concern. Brian Reynolds joins us a little later on with those calls. Plus, Americans want to know why pump prices haven't dropped more right now, and one expert has the answers. He tells us where prices will start dropping first. And is the yield curve actually steepening? At a time when investors are increasingly nervous that it's signaling a recession or a Fed policy mistake, we'll look at why the opposite may be true. In fact, let's start diving into that right now. We begin with the overall markets today. The Dow's up 170 points for a pretty nice move here. Consistent half percent gain across the board as the markets continue to digest what we heard from the Fed yesterday and the fact that they hike rates for the first time since the end of 2018. Again, up 164 for the Dow, up 21 for the S&P, up 55 for the NASDAQ. Let's move along now, look at some of the moves in oil prices where we're actually seeing a rebound over $100 a barrel for crude. 101.95 is the latest there. So this is a pretty sizable jump, up 7% after the IEA issued a warning on supplies. Also, we saw huge downward action here, obviously, over the past couple of sessions. Yields also well off their FOMC highs. Yesterday, we saw the 10-year above 220, same for the five-year Check on those levels now shows the five-year around 2.14 and the 10-year around 2.16%. At least this still here is a positive gap. And let's focus on the yield curve for just a moment. A lot of attention on the parts of the curve that have already inverted or are threatening to. Here's the fives versus the tens. As I mentioned yesterday, uh, this is the negative line right around here. We see it dipping below that level about the time the Fed hiked rates yesterday. Uh, today, it's still, uh, well, call, it depends on how you do the math. But in any case, we see it's uh, just got a little bit into positive territory. Let's move now to the two years versus the 10 years. That's the yield curve that everybody really focuses on. It hit a low of 19 basis points this morning. We're around 23 basis points right now. You can see the flattening going into and then following the Fed's decision here. It's reliably inverted before recessions. It's rarely inverted without one coming. It's why you're seeing a lot of concern in the market. But that's not the whole story. Let's take a look at a different yield curve using the 10-month versus the three-month, 10-year versus the three-month Treasury bills, I should say. Here we're seeing a little bit different story. This is the two-day chart. We're actually seeing a little bit of steepening here. And at 1.67 points, not only is it steep by historical standards, it hit a five-year high yesterday after the Fed, and it's been on an upward move all year. So it's less distorted by future market expectations than that two-year rate, and obviously it's telling a much more bullish story right now. So what does it all mean for investors? Let's bring in David Harden. He is the CEO and Chief Investment Officer at Summit Global Investments. David, it's good to have you here today. Where do you think people should be putting money to work right now? That's a great question, Kelly. Thank you for having me again. I appreciate being on your show. It's an honor. You know, the, I, I think they need to be very careful with where they put their money. And I think that what this, all these different signs and mixed signals and war and inflation and the Fed speak that's going on, it's telling us that we have to be more risk managers with our assets. 
And when you're a risk manager, you take a look at what's the downside risk in your portfolio. So I think you need to think a little bit more defensive rather than on the offense right now. Even though there's signs that maybe we're coming out of this, I don't think it's all flushed out. So I think there's still possibilities of some more downside, and I think you have to be a little bit more cautiously optimistic here. It's great that the Fed has told us now what they're doing, and now we have the rate you know, increase behind us, but inflation is still there. How good is this going to happen? There's still definitely uncertainty in the markets. So it's not clear skies ahead. We can't just put the pedal to the metal and move forward. We have to be more cautiously, cautious and and be very specific how we invest right now. Yeah, a couple of the names. I mean, do you feel comfortable with Chevron? Okay, let me put it this way. They're, they're consensus right now. You stick with energy. You've got defense here, Lockheed Martin. A lot of people are looking uh, for kind of some stability as the rest of the market has been chopping around. But, you know, are these kind of all two consensus? We've already seen the whipsaw moves in energy over the past week. You see how defense could be next, depending on the situation with Ukraine and how that evolves. So, you know, why these names as a buy here? I, I think this, you have, when you think about defense, you think typically like staples or consumer, uh, uh, you know, consumer staples and healthcare. I think those are still at play, but you have to include some value over growth. And when you look at value, I know energy is a little bit volatile, but you have to look at value and some financials in there. And so Chevron to me with a PE of 13, a yield of about 3.6%, gas prices, yeah, they're volatile, but they remain elevated. And so also Chevron's doing some things that have nothing to do with Russia's war with Ukraine or other things with their uh, announcement to acquire Renewable Energy Group. They're looking at lower carbon emissions. That's a lot of ESG talk right there. But the point being is that there's more to Chevron than just gas prices. As long as they stay elevated, which I think most people agree, I think Chevron's a place where you need to have some money. You also like McKesson. You say keep avoiding a name like Zoom Video. I mean, where do you think rates are headed? Um, Do you think people can be comfortable owning stocks here? I think you have to look at stocks a little bit longer term than just tomorrow, right? Day traders are out there, I'm sure, but most investors are not day traders, right? They're investors that are looking for help for their retirement. So from an average investor, now's the time to make your 2021 IRA contributions. Now's the time to maybe make your 2022 contributions, right? It's the time to ask your employer to make their match. This is the time because yes, we maybe haven't hit bottom. Yes, we're gonna have some volatility, But having equity exposure is really where the bulk of assets probably still need to be. All right. And so maybe a couple of tactical moves as well uh, for people who are reeling from this environment. David, it's good to have you on today. Thanks for your thoughts. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks. for David Harden with Summit Investments. Now, for all the focus on the Fed and rates and all the rest of it, what about corporate earnings, the fundamentals that underpin the market? Bob Bassani has been tracking the estimates for us and joins us now with an update. Bob? And Kelly, uh, we are two weeks from the end of the first quarter. So there now that the Fed has spoken, analysts are starting to seriously look at the estimates they have. Generally, they don't like to move too much in periods like this right now because they want to wait till you get to the end of the quarter when it's a little bit more clear on their outlook. So let's take a look at what's going on. Generally, estimates have been coming down in the last month and a half today. S&P 500 growth expectations for the first quarter up 6.4 percent. That's overall earnings for the S&P 500 on January 1st. It was 7.5 percent. So it's lower, but not dramatically lower. 
the concern here is the Fed is looking a little more aggressive, and some people feel estimates are going to come down very quickly now that the Fed has spoken. So here's the bear case. Why we're going to have lower analyst estimates here. High inflation, supply chain disruptions, all continuing into the first quarter and into the second quarter, and the tighter Fed. It's going to curb demand, and that's going to cause earnings estimates to come down. Some bulls out there saying, Bob, relax. Okay, problem in the first quarter. Second quarter, inflation's going to moderate, and demand, the economy's going to remain strong, and that's kind of where people are revolving around. If the demand and the economy remains strong, you might be able to have earnings continuing to hold up pretty well. Here's the problem right now. That there's clear trends, and there's some winners and losers for the first quarter. The big winner is energy. That's not a typo. 200% increase in earnings. These companies, Exxon, Chevron, Conoco, Occidental, they are gushing cash. Record amounts of money is going to be returned to shareholders, and they're going to be the big winners. Elsewhere, though, eh, industrials up 36%, but the trend is still to the downside. So the important thing is these, these companies here, for example, 3M, Caterpillar, Stanley Black & Decker, all of them are looking still up. That's up 36%, but the trend is to the downside. Those companies are having their earnings reduced. Consumer staples and only up 1% there. So we're seeing companies out there, Kimberly Clark, Kraft, generally earnings estimates coming down for them. Finally, uh, the consumer discretionary group. You look at Amazon, you look at Ford, uh, you look at General Motors. Again, same situation. They've seen their earnings estimates reduced recently. So, Kelly, what you want to do is watch the trend here. I anticipate within the next couple of weeks we'll see a lot of estimates come down a bit. Uh, remember tonight. We're going to see Federal Express, and that's a very good barometer of global growth. Absolutely. And Bob, would you say that, I mean, these are still holding up relatively well. So if we've taken the expectations down by about one percentage point overall since January, that's with a market that's seen inflation way yeah. higher than expected. The Ukraine war, I mean, a lot has happened for us to only be down by that amount so far. Yes, I'll, I'll make it very simple. There is a reason that the first question Jerome Powell yesterday was, are we going to have a recession? It was a, a variation on that was the first question. And Powell said it is uh, not his base case. That they're going to have a recession this year. There are that the reason this is happening is it, it, investors in the market are very well aware that the ultimate killer of bull markets is the Fed aggressively raising interest rates or a sudden downturn in the economy or the Fed inducing a downturn in the economy because they're raising rates. And that's what a large part of the community is worried about, that they're actually going to overshoot. The other half are worried they're not going to do enough. So you see the market is so confused right now. Right. That's why it's very difficult to get a consensus. And the analysts aren't doing much because they want to hear from the CEOs and what they're saying. That's why I'm telling you, in the next couple of weeks, you're going to start hearing more. And I, the, the tenor of this sounds to me like, estimates are going to be going lower. No, it's a great point. Like you said, there's a little bit of a, a fog out there for everybody. Bob, thank you so much. We appreciate okay. it today. Our Bob Bassani down at the New York Stock Exchange. Coming up, oil is back above $100 a barrel, though still down about 6% this week. We're going to take a closer look at the relationship between oil and gasoline prices next and what it means for how much you'll be paying to fill up. Plus, a stunning rebound in Chinese tech stocks catching the shorts by surprise. And despite today's 8% drop, the China Internet ETF, the K-Web, is still on pace for its best week ever. We'll dig into the options activity coming up. And as we had to break, here's a quick check on the markets. We're still seeing slight gains across all the major averages. The Russell 2000 small caps are actually up 1% leading the way. We're back after this. 
people today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. Crude is rallying sharply today, up nearly 8% after flirting with its worst week since April of 2020. The week prices turned negative. As oil has reversed lower since last week, consumers don't feel they're seeing the same relief at the gas pump. And Brian Sullivan is here to explain why. Brian? All right, Kelly, let's go. Because from the White House to Congress, there has been a lot of blame being passed around. Blame, of course, is the game in D.C., And they're blaming high gas prices, mostly on Putin and now lately on the oil and gas companies themselves. It is understandable gas prices are a huge issue for voters. Oh, yes, the midterms aren't that far off. And these are easy targets, right? But while, yes, oil profits are on the rise after years of lagging, that is happening. The main reason gasoline does not move as fast as oil is not quite so easy. First off, let's get out some facts. And I launched these this morning, so it'll be a a tiny bit off. Oil began the year at just under 76 a barrel. It is now just back over 100 for a gain of whatever, 32%. Gasoline futures, they started 2022 at 222 a gallon, kind of cool. They're now at 307 roughly for a gain of about 38%. But what you and I pay and all of our viewers actually pay a gallon of gas began the year at 329 coming into this morning. It sat at 428 according to AAA for a guess a gain of, you guessed it, just over 30%. So you can see oil, oil futures, gas futures, and gasoline are pretty aligned in their moves. And that's kind of always been the case. Look at this three-year chart of oil versus the nationwide average for a gallon of gas. Okay, and it's a little bit weird looking. And that's kind of the point. As you can see, as oil moves, which is the orange line, gasoline moves, but a little bit later. That's the blue line. Then as oil falls, Gasoline falls a little bit later. And on the very, very far right of that chart, you can see the huge spike in oil the last couple of weeks. Gasoline, of course, followed it up. And now oil is on the way back, or at least it was until this morning. So some prominent D.C. types are railing about why gasoline prices aren't falling just as fast. Well, it's not complicated. Here's why. The oil prices, Kelly, that we show our viewers are just contracts to maybe buy oil next month. It's just a piece of paper and it's one month out. But the gasoline we put in our tanks is a real tangible thing. It is not priced for delivery next month. It is bought in giant loads, hundreds of thousands of gallons every day by distributors from refiners and then from distributors to gas station owners. So once you buy tons of gas, you're stuck with it at that price. So let's say you happen to buy about 100,000 gallons of gasoline, which is a normal gas station, at about 450 a gallon last week. Now gas prices may be under that. You're hosed because the station owner down the road 
timed it better. She bought at a lower price and now can sell gas at a price that would make you lose money. But now, of course, you have to sell at a loss because you got to drain your tanks to buy more gas at the new lower price. Gas station margins are insanely low, sometimes near zero, just to get you and I into the store to buy Slim Jims and coffee because that's where the money is made. Kelly, the point is this. That owner who just sold a ton of gas at a loss, yes, will use other times to keep prices higher for as long as they can because they know another loss may be just around the corner. Is there some gouging going on by bad actors on the corner gas station? Of course there is, and you should call them out. But mostly, for most of these folks, it's just called trying to survive. It happened to my family with our California gas station in the 1980s. But if you don't believe me, go ask a local gas station owner. They'll tell you the same. Or by the way, Kelly, how about this? When oil went negative, was anybody asking why gasoline prices also didn't go negative? Of course not, because oil and gasoline, while connected, are ultimately pretty different markets. No, I appreciate the explainers, Brian. Obviously, look at what all the prices have done, uh, sort of larger picture here to date. So who is making money? Well, credit card companies. A um, couple things. So big oil is going to make more money. Yes, that is accurate. The, the ones who've kind of escaped attention are the refiners. Most oil and gas companies, Kelly, don't actually refine or sell gasoline. Some of the big ones do, the Chevrons, the Exxons, the Conecos, but the majority of all publicly traded or private oil and gas companies just sell their oil to a refiner. The refiner then, of course, makes it into gasoline, uses all these other input costs, by the way, all these other nasty chemicals that you don't want to be near. Those prices are also higher, so it all goes into the supply chain. So refiners may or may not be doing well, depending on their spreads, but the credit card companies, because as one gas station owner pointed out to me, they get charged 2.5%. 2.5% of 4 bucks a gallon is a lot more than 2.5% of 3 bucks a gallon. So the credit card companies, unless it crushes consumer spending, they may be the ones that actually don't mind higher gas prices because they're just going to make 2.5% on whatever it costs to fill up, you know, that Bentley Continental GT that the Evans family is rolling around in. <laughs> yeah, the, the Odyssey minivan. Uh, sounds like Warren needs to go after them uh, on a windfall profits tax. Maybe we should have a, a, a holiday from credit card uh, fee charges at gasoline stations. Uh, Brian, to take your point, I really appreciate it as well. Uh, we're going to talk to Andy Lippow sure. about this Thanks. now, Brian Sullivan. All so right. when should consumers expect lower pump prices? My next guest says soon. Let's bring in Andy Lippow. He's Lippow Oil Associates president. Andy, it's good to have you back. Um, does, should we still expect relief based on today's oil price jump? Well, even with today's oil prices, I expect gasoline prices to continue their slow decline. We're at about 429 or so. I think we'll get down to 420, maybe a little bit less. But certainly today's rally has put a damper in the enthusiasm to continue towards $4 a gallon. So where do you think the, the sort of real price of gasoline is right now? Well, um, if we're talking about the retail average, I think we can still head down, you know, to 420 or something. And you call that where the normal rack to retail margin would be that we've seen in the past. But given the volatility that we've seen in the market, it's very hard to say, oh, here's the new target as it's changing every day. Exactly. And for those uh, consumers who are frustrated, you're saying, you know, they have some reason. There are several days at a time where you're seeing those spreads go up uh, between what gasoline prices are and where the gasoline can be sold. Is that right? 
Yeah, I mean, the consumer is frustrated and they're confused, but their anger is misplaced because it's directed to the major oil companies when it really should be directed to the local uh, service station owner. There's actually 60,000 single store operators out there, and many of them are buying their gasoline from the uh, major oil companies like Exxon. But Exxon doesn't own a single retail site in the U.S., Right. So in other words, for a couple days stretch of time, they can make you know, bigger profits than normal. How long does that situation usually last? Well, what we've seen is in a significantly uh, declining oil market, it can take four weeks, six weeks, because they're very reluctant to lower their prices. They know the consumer is going to continue to show up at the gas station. And this, as Brian pointed out, is their chance to make money to offset those weaker margin periods. So it can last for four to six weeks, you think, before it kind of normalizes? Uh, yeah, especially on the gasoline side. On the diesel side, it's a little bit more dramatic where diesel, the average price is $5.10 a gallon. I expect that's going to drop to $4.50 a gallon because diesel prices have really fallen off precipitously from its high. Well, for those people who are getting frustrated by the wait in the meantime, you say there are some places to look for prices to come down most quickly, and they seem to be at the big box chains. Well, that's exactly right. The big box retailers are selling not 900,000 gallons a year, but more like 900,000 gallons a month. So you should get a better price from the likes of Costco or Kroger or a Sam's Club uh, companies like that, as well as some of the bigger independents like Casey's, Wawa, Murphy's, Bucky's here in the South. And so that's where people should start their search uh, if they want to look for those savings. Andy, thanks for your time today. Thanks for having me. Andy Lipow with Lipow Oil Associates. Still ahead, crypto execs are on Capitol Hill today. Congress wants to know if crypto could provide a path for Russian oligarchs to skirt U.S. sanctions. We'll have the latest. Plus, names like Robinhood, Roku, and Snap are down big from their recent highs. And now there's another threat looming right under their noses. We have it ahead on The Exchange. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at Chevron.com slash meeting demand. Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. We just hit session highs on the Dow, up 200 points. Half a percent gain across the board right now. Uh, perhaps some market relief over Russian debt payments. Let's check in on some individual movers, and we see the chip stocks on pace for their best week since early November, at least as measured by the SMH. A little bit of a pause today, though. We have AMD, Micron, Marvell, and Broadcom among the biggest laggards. Steel and aluminum stocks also moving higher. All of these names are up more than 25 percent this year. We see some increases of 7 percent today. 
And Signet Jewelers is jumping after they matched earnings estimates and beat on revenue. The real gem, though, was their guidance. Higher than expected both for this quarter and the full year. Shares are up nearly 7% today and on pace for their best week in nearly a year. And the CEO will be on closing bell today in an exclusive interview at 3 p.m. Eastern time. And GameStop, speaking of earnings, they're also rising ahead of their quarterly report after the bell, where investors will be looking for more details on the turnaround plan. Only a 2% gain. These shares are still down more than 80% from their all-time high last January. And they're down 30% just this month already, which would make for their worst month in over a year. Now to Rahel Solomon for a CNBC News update. Rahel? Hi, Kelly. And here's what's happening at this hour. We begin in Ukraine, where Mariupol City Council says that the situation is critical. It claims between 50 and 100 bombs are being dropped on the city every day. And about 80% of the city's housing stock has been destroyed. Still no casualty figures from yesterday's strike on a theater where hundreds of people had sought shelter. And Japan, meantime, officials say that four people died and at least 160 people injured. And in yesterday's major earthquake, some homes were destroyed, a bullet train was derailed, and more than two million homes temporarily lost power. On the news tonight, meantime, the World Health Organization warning of a new rise in COVID cases. And the White House gets new leadership for its pandemic response team. That's tonight at 7 Eastern. And in Chicago, hundreds of people lining up four hours to get free gas. It is thanks to $200,000. It was a donation from Chicago businessman and former mayoral candidate Willie Wilson. He says he wants to do his part to alleviate some of the pain being felt by high gas prices. So, Kelly, the reason why you're seeing that line is because each gas station got allotted, I think, about $20,000. And wow. Once it was up, it was up. That's a cool idea. We'll yeah. see if that spreads. Rahel, thanks. That would be nice. Coming up, a stunning reversal in Chinese stocks yesterday, giving Didi a 33% gain week to date. We'll look at how the shorts are handling the swings and whether the fundamentals support long-term ownership here. That's next. Welcome back. Investors are reeling from huge swings this week in Chinese tech stocks. The K-Web Chinese Internet ETF soared 40 percent yesterday. It's now down about 10 percent or 8 percent today, but it's still higher for the week. Even despite this week's jump, the K-Web is down 67 percent from its 52-week high. Seema Modi has more on the moves and the fallout, especially for the short. Seema? Yeah, it's just such big moves there. Expect this corner, Kelly, of tech to remain very active. Right now, the call volume in the K-Web Chinese Tech ETF is 60% below yesterday. Chris Murphy at Susquehanna says this adds to evidence that what we saw on Wednesday was a short squeeze after Beijing signal support for its tech sector, extreme volatility really across the options market. Call volume more than doubled the all-time high yesterday. That was only hit last week, 10 times the one-month average. And despite the underperformance in Chinese tech stocks this past year, the percent of shares short, say that three times, is not that high. Alibaba around 2%, JD.com around 4.4%. For comparison, Facebook or Meta is at one4 According to Credit Suisse, though, yesterday's bounce was mostly hedge funds covering. Analysts there say long-only funds have yet to jump in in a meaningful way. But the erratic moves are certainly raising concerns. Bernstein's China team putting out a note this morning saying stress levels among investors and ourselves hit very high levels in recent weeks. The macro issues persist, but we'd expect Beijing's comments to mean some of the worst case scenarios are off the table. Kelly? I'm surprised, Seema, that short interest is so low in some of these Chinese tech names. 
Yeah, no, it's a great point. I, too, thought it would be a little bit higher. We have to take into account the short interest numbers I relayed may not actually provide the full picture because these are Chinese ADR. So we're looking at a short interest based on the shares that are traded here and may not fully account into fully account uh, uh, take into account the shares that are traded back home in China. But clearly, uh, despite where short interest stands for these Chinese ADRs, we've seen a big run up yesterday, but it does follow four weeks of consecutive losses for the KWeb China ETF. And even a name like Alibaba sitting on losses of 57 percent over the past one year. Yeah, there are extraordinary moves both to the upside and downside. Sima, we appreciate it. Thank you, Sima Modi. My next guest says it's the regime in Beijing driving these moves rather than fundamentals. He's remaining underweight exposure to China. Let's welcome in Michael Yoshikami. He's the founder and CEO of Destination Wealth Management. Michael, it's great to see you. And what do you mean by the regi uh, regime driving these moves? Well, if you buy a stock, right, you're buying it based on fundamental analysis. The problem with the Chinese stock market right now, particularly in the tech sector, is it's driven by two issues. It's driven, first of all, by governmental influence. In other words, is the government going to be okay with how you conduct business? And then secondly, what's happening with the pandemic and the lockdowns right now in China. So, I don't think fundamentals really are driving these stocks anymore. I think it really is that the government like you or not like you. Uh, and that's why we saw a bump yesterday. It had nothing to do with, or the other day, we had nothing to do with fundamentals. It had everything to do with the government's perspective on, on how these companies are doing business. What was the perceived change? And were you surprised that the rate of change in the stocks was so large? Uh, not really, because if you've lost 50%, you know, Kelly, and then you go up 25 or 30%. Yeah. The, the moves are not equal going up and down. So, and I think investors right now are really looking, particularly in Chinese stocks, they're looking for any sort of relief. And there still is a sort of leftover. China is kind of the internet speculation. You can make a killing in these kind of names. There's always people out there willing to speculate. I just think it's not a good fundamental uh, case right now. I'm sure people also must think, okay, I can get a name like Alibaba way uh, less expensive than in the past, and it's a name with a, a investor like Charlie Munger, you know, behind right. it. That can be, you know, a pretty powerful, uh, powerful rationale for well, folks. That's probably why. The, that's probably why the stock went up. I mean, last time I was in Hangzhou, which is where Alibaba is located, I was at actually at Alibaba's headquarters. Um, uh, it, it's it's uh, it's a different kind of environment right now for these names. And I realized Charlie Munger, who I have the greatest respect for, uh, said that he's buying that stock, I guess, uh, a while ago, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and even um, uh, the infamous Mr. Wonderful here on CNBC actually said that he just bought these stocks recently. So there certainly are people that are willing to hang in there. I just think as a more conservative investment strategy, uh, it might be a trading strategy, it might be a growth sort of strategy, but I don't think it's really a, a, a kind of a cash flow, fundamental oriented story. And I think for most investors, and frankly for Warren Buffett, that's how people invest um, successfully. Well, and you've warned us for some time that the crackdown in China would continue. We saw it move from after school tutoring to, you know, obviously much right. larger tech titans. But the fundamental, if you want to call it that argument for owning these stocks now is this idea that that crackdown is largely over. They're now preparing for uh, the reappointment or whatever you'd call it of Xi to his third term in the fall. And they want more stability now for the economy. They're fighting COVID. They're, you know, they've already they, they don't want to do anything more to harm, let's say, their leading business's ability to, to help foster those strong conditions. Well, what would you say about that? 
Yeah, I, I think to some extent you've seen uh, obviously a, a tremendous amount of governmental intervention, but I think when you say for the most part it looks like it's over, I don't think we can really say that. Um, what, what's going to happen with um, Alibaba and the spin-off spin organizations that they're looking to, to roll out? Well, who's to say that um, the government one day might not announce like they did out of the blue for the education sector, that it's just not going to be something that they're going to allow kids to do after school anymore. Look at what's happening with ride sharing. Uh, look what happened to uh, uh, Didi. So, I mean, I, I just don't think you, you really are in a position where you can say that it's over. Uh, and the other thing you mentioned coming out of the pandemic, China's not coming out of the pandemic. They're actually entering into the pandemic. I was just talking to someone just the other day in a province in China, as well as someone in Hong Kong last night, and they're shutting the whole city down. Uh, they're requiring people to take three tests. T tens and tens of millions of people are being required to take three tests, stay at home. They can't go out unless they're going to get food. That's going to impact the Chinese economy. And the way China has, has attacked this pandemic situation is much different, much different than how the United States has attacked yeah. it. So it's going to create problems in addition to governmental regulation. Can I ask if you would warn people kind of away from exposure to China right now, where might you sense better opportunity? Um, I, I would definitely underweight China right now. And uh, it, this is horrendously boring what I'm about to say. But I think that um, if you're buying uh, income-oriented stocks, dividend-oriented stocks that are not income and growth, but more growth of income, because I still think you're going to continue to see uh, expansion of multiples um, in terms of what's happening in the United States market. Um, if you want to have a China exposure, um, you know, you buy names that have significant presence in China that are U.S. companies that are not going to be subject to the same type of governmental oversight. So that's where I would head. I would just be very hesitant about buying high beta names, particularly given what's happened with Russia and Ukraine, Kelly, because you don't know how China is going to get involved in that yeah. and what the collateral damage to China will be. Yeah, we didn't even delve into that, but it, it is a big risk out there. Michael, thanks for your time today. It's great to have you. All right. Thanks, Kelly. Michael Yoshikami. Coming up, as goes share price, so goes morale. The worker problem brewing in Silicon Valley and how tech firms are trying to fight it. And one method authorities fear Russian oligarchs would use to skirt sanctions, it could actually help to track assets, we'll explain. And as we go to break, take a look at the Dow heat map with Amex Dow Inc. leading the way. Visa and Boeing, the biggest laggards, are back in a moment. Welcome back. Growthy tech names like Robinhood and Snap are getting trounced so far this year. And as the share price goes down, employee morale is sinking, too. Kate Rooney is here with the details on how companies are now trying to retain talent. Kate? Hey, Kelly. A lot of people who joined those high-growth tech companies recently are underwater when it comes to their stock and options. Recruiters and people out here I'm talking to say that it's hurting morale, it's distracting, it's demotivating and it's leading to attrition. The backdrop here, compensation in Silicon Valley really tends to be tied to equity. People often trade a higher salary for more exposure to the stock. That's either through options or RSUs, and that may have worked out pretty nicely in the past uh, few years and recently, but tech is getting slammed right now in the face of rising rates. You got the NASDAQ and QQQ down double digits year to date so far. Longtime employees at some of the more established companies are still probably above water, but some of the hot new tech companies that soared in the past year or so have seen huge wipeouts in their stock price. They're looking for new ways right now to offer new equity grants or cash perks 
to keep their employees around. Blind pulled some of this data for us. Robinhood is down about 70% so far in the past six months. It's issuing new stock. You've got Chewy as well, giving one-time RSU grants. Roku, that name down about 50% this year. It's giving employees new grants and cash-based raises. Also got Snap and Uber adjusting comp to match some of the new hire offers. Recruiters I'm talking to, though, say that employees who got options at the higher end really don't see a path right now to profitability with everything that's going on in the market and some investors really turning on the higher growth tech names. Kelly. So the big question if these employees want to leave, Kate, is where are they going to go? Where are they going to go? Private companies uh, have been one draw, though the later stage companies are likely going to get hit by the same phenomenon. You look at sort of the public comparisons and have to assume that eventually that's going to hit private markets. The safe havens right now, uh, one is health tech. That does seem to be where a lot of the VC money is going and tends to sort of see the uh, tailwinds with everything going on. Health tech seems to be big. Surprisingly, blockchain. Uh, Crypto prices don't seem to be dampening enthusiasm, at least on the recruiting side, when it comes to a lot of the crypto and blockchain companies, also based on VC dollars. A lot of employees look to where some of the bigger names are spending, where they see a lot of the venture capital interest and money going. I'm told blockchain companies are hiring engineers away from some of the big fang and big tech uh, companies and are able to to pay comparable, if not better, salaries. Great point about crypto and its staying power. I mean, Bitcoin is, you know, after it came off the highs, it hasn't fallen as much as feared yet. And also about health, the health tech, because wouldn't it be great in another five years if we have this like big boom in, you know, healthcare innovation and it's all because of the reallocation of employees today? Yeah, it could be a leading indicator, but we'll see. Yeah, if you see a lot more tech talent going somewhere, it could, you know, you won't see the effects right away. But like you said, some of these companies may go public. And if they're hiring the smartest engineers, you've got to think that that's got to trickle down to the success of the company at some point. Yeah, maybe it's just wishful thinking. But there, you know, we could use a lot of improvement still uh, in that space. Kate, thanks very much. We appreciate (laughs) it. Our Kate Rooney. Still ahead, biotech. There's a bifurcation there. Why investors may want to brace for a summer deal spree and where the opportunities may lie right now. Uh, And also coming up on Power Lunch, Gamco's Mario Gabelli joins us. He's sticking with his AAA theme for investing so far this year, but now there's a twist. We have that at 2 p.m. And the Signet CEO is on Mad Money tonight. Apologies, I said closing bell earlier. Also joined by the Williams-Sonoma CEO. Don't miss Jim's two big interviews starting at 6 p.m. Eastern. We're back after this. Welcome back to The Exchange. Stocks are making new session highs. The Dow's up 272 points uh, right now, and it's been building for really the last couple of hours, almost a 1% gain now for the Nasdaq and S&P. Now, this comes as stocks have been whipsawing over the past three weeks between geopolitical flare-ups, inflation, and growth fears. The S&P is actually flat since February 28th, but the outside moves wouldn't make make you think that. The good news is some clear trends are starting to emerge that investors can take advantage of. Joining me now, now is Brian Reynolds. He's the chief market strategist with Reynolds Strategy. Brian, it's great to have you here. Before I ask about a couple of the sectors that jump out at me, do you think stocks overall are headed higher? I do. I think this is a correction within a long-term bull market. Even though stocks have been whipsawed since the end of February, credit investors have bought $150 billion of new corporate bonds this month. Despite all the turmoil in the Ukraine, despite all the worries about the Fed and inflation, they keep buying corporate bonds, and that money is eventually going to go into buybacks. And I think when stocks get above the 4,400, 4,500 area on the S&P, that's usually a good time for the uh, Wall Street buyback desks to commit capital when the 10-day volume weighted moving average goes above the 50-day. 
So in other words, we are starting to see a rebound and that will be followed by a lot of buybacks that for years have been helping to bolster this market. Any warning you'd give about the Fed here or how, how overall is this rate hike and their plans for six more rate hikes this year being taken by the market? If you look at the money market, specifically the U.S. Euro dollar futures market, that's the largest futures market in the world. They priced in the Fed going up to 275 next year wow. and then having to bring rates back down. So we're already pricing in an easing cycle just as the tightening cycle begins. And it's been priced that way for a while. So I think this is pretty much baked into the markets already. Oh, that's fascinating. It may help explain why yields are kind of not uh, surging a lot higher today, even as they catch up to the Fed's projections. All right. So against that backdrop of stocks headed higher, why is biotech in particular jumping out to you here uh, for some technical reasons? Well, they're one of the main players in the in the buyback space and they have good products and good momentum. Their stock prices have good momentum. They started outperforming in February for the first time in over a year. So they've been kind of beaten down and now they're trying now they're starting to come back and they have great access to the debt markets, which, as I just mentioned, is buying corporate bonds like crazy. So they have access to capital. They have good cash flows. They'll likely be buying their stock back to get their stock prices up. That's in the large cap sector. It's completely different in the small cap biotech sector. Yeah. And, and let's talk about that. Is it only in small cap biotech or is it in small caps overall that you see some warning signs? Well, it's not so much of a warning sign. It's just people don't want small caps in general, and they don't want small cap biotechs in particular. It's almost if you can't give them away. So the disparity between large cap and small and small cap is very, very large. I think it'll get bigger this summer with the large cap names buying their stock back. At some point, probably around Labor Day, that disparity will probably be so wide that the big companies will start buying the small ones to try and increase their pipeline. So I think this is going to be a, secular, a cyclical thing, and then we can start to reload in the start of 2023. Yeah, and maybe the people, even as you're warning about small cap uh, stock prices, they go, well, if a deal cycle is coming, maybe we would, wouldn't mind some exposure. Do you think that that trend could hold overall? I mean, as we've seen these companies down 80% from their highs and a lot of high valuation, you know, new, newly public areas, would that be a similar evolution as what we're seeing in biotech? Well, in the former hot names, they've come down so much, it's going to be a long, long time before they can get back to the highs. But they've come down so much that there will probably be some deals from these levels. And so investors at these levels, I think, could make some money going forward because I think this correction is near the end. I mean, we still have headlines to come in the Ukraine. We still have headlines to come on inflation. But in general, it's likely run its course. And if we get above the 44, 4,500 area on the S&P, hold that for a week or so, start to see the buybacks activate. Then this is like what we saw in the prior 11 years before the pandemic. Stocks go rocketing back up after a sickening correction. Yeah, you almost blink and you miss it. What about the most crowded areas in the market right now? Energy, defense, those kinds of places. Those are hot areas right now because of the headlines. Uh, eventually, the headlines will fade. So I think at some point, and again, probably that's over the summer, you want to be selling those into strength. Selling sector, those sector rotation is constant in this type of market. And so you want to ride your winners for a little while and then gradually sell them out as they get too hot. And then as a parting word, is there anything you'd say about kind of where we could see leadership as this rally continues and maybe as this expansion continues, despite the recessions people are constantly uh, worried about? I think it's going to be concentrated in the largest buyback names. They've just started to outperform for the first time in a while. And I think that outperformance goes at least through the summer and probably into the fall. All right. Always to the point, crystal clear. Brian, it's great to have you. Thanks so much.
Brian Reynolds with Reynolds Strategy. Still ahead, detect, disrupt, and deter. That's what one executive testified crypto can do in the fight to thwart Russian oligarchs' illegal activity. With Bitcoin around 40,000, we have those details right after this. Welcome back. Many worry Russia will use cryptocurrencies to circumvent sanctions. But according to testimony on Capitol Hill today, the opposite may be true. Eamon Javers is here with that story. Eamon? Kelly, that's right. Senators heard from several crypto experts today who made the case that blockchains are simply too transparent to be of much use to oligarchs who are trying to transfer these enormous sums of money to avoid those Russian sanctions. In fact, they argued crypto has been more useful on the Ukrainian side of this fight so far. The president of Ukraine's blockchain association, who also had to flee his home amid the invasion, testified today about the flood of crypto donations that he helped steer toward his country. Right now, we already collected more than $50 million in equivalent. Uh, we are reaching for about $100 million. We also had the opportunity to uh, supply finance to the uh, uh, cities like Mariupol, to Kharkiv, which are now enclosed and captured by, by Russians. Uh, the Internet still works there, so we can supply crypto there. And with this crypto, people can buy food and, and you know, wherever it's required there. So, Kelly, the big question hanging over this hearing is whether or not there's going to be new legislation imposing disclosure requirements coming up uh, on Capitol Hill this year. Senator Elizabeth Warren announced today she has a new bill, along with some other senators, that would authorize Treasury to prohibit transactions with crypto addresses based in Russia, require taxpayers to report offshore crypto transactions larger than $10,000, and require Treasury to issue a public report identifying high-risk digital asset platforms. Back over to you, Kelly. But overall, Eamon, is there a sense that this testimony and in, in what they're saying about the blockchain is changing the plans that Congress would have otherwise had? It's an interesting question, Kelly. I mean, you do see some senators who are super dialed into this, and then there's a whole other group of senators who are, are really new to the debate, to put it charitably, right? These are senators who haven't really focused on this question at all, and they really have very basic uh, functional questions about how blockchain works and whether it's useful in hiding money. And for that group, there's a sort of a dawning realization that there is a public ledger aspect to blockchain, and a lot of this is public, and therefore a lot of what's going on on the blockchain is traceable to some extent by law enforcement, certainly more so than with cash. So there is sort of a, an educational aspect to it hearing like this. And I don't think necessarily we're going to see a whole lot of legislation this year, partly just because it, it's you know going into a midterm election. That's not a good year uh, for, for legislating up on Capitol Hill. It is a good year for fundraising, though, maybe from the crypto guys. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe a reminder as well of what the blockchain is and uh, and what it's not. Eamon, right. thanks so much. We appreciate it. You bet. Eamon Jabbers in Washington. That does it for The Exchange, everybody. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.